You ready? Oh yeah. Sorry. Okay. No, I thought you're. I thought you're. Changing. Sorry. No, I thought you were getting your stance ready. You're no, ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Just watching you on your okay, phone. Okay, that's right. <laughs> okay, it's fine. Okay, you ready to go? Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome back to Freepcast. My name is Rob Murray. I'm your host. Freepcast is brought to you by the Free Press Media and is recorded at the KMSU studios on the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato. Um, this, on this episode of Freepcast, we've got Tim Tupi, who is the owner of a couple of my favorite businesses in town, uh, Live Salon and Spa, where I get my hair cut by Melissa, who's fantastic. And um, Mankato Brewery, where I've spent well, probably way too much money the last few years on uh, Mad Butcher beer, one of my favorites. Uh, but Tim is a great uh, a great guest for Freepcast, um, really interesting guy. Um, we get into a lot of things uh, about both of his businesses and his personal life. Um, and he's just very, very cool, very interesting. Uh, so without further ado, here's Tim. All right, and we're here with Tim Tupi, uh, one of my favorite people in the region because he's responsible for some of my favorite beer. Thank you for having me. Is that the, is that how you like to be known in town as the guy who makes their favorite beer? Yeah, that's a, I like that. Pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, you're not just the beer guy, though. You're also um, the owner of Live Salon and Spa, where I get my haircut. Yeah. So I uh, give you a lot of my money. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we at that location will be 20 years this March. Really? Yeah. Goes by fast. Wow. 20 years. I love going there, and I'll tell you why. Um, I get my hair cut by Melissa, mm-hmm. uh, my favorite, and, and she gives the best scalp massages yeah. in the business. So, Thank you. Yeah, she's great. Um, so let's talk about you, though. Uh, you, um, let's talk about Live Salon first, because I want to sure. get, uh, that, that's kind of what you started out as, yeah. uh, your, is that your first business? Correct. Yeah, so... We actually, so my wife and I, we were dating. Um, she uh, worked at a place called Hair Masters down on Front Street uh, by the Law Enforcement Center or Cato Insurance, which is now something else. Um, and um, so the owners were retiring. Uh, she bought that. We ran it out of that location close to nine years. And then uh, we expanded to live uh, up by uh, the mall uh, where Barnes & Noble used to be for those people who have been around here for a while now Planet Fitness and Williams Diamond Center and all that in that area so that will be 20 years this March so uh, that we've been at that location so we've been doing it for a long time salon and spa services uh, partnership with the Veda Corporate out of Blaine so it's kind of nice having a local company that we work with that kind of fits our mission too with the environment and animals and things like that so it's a been a great partnership and relationship with Aveda. Uh, what did you what did you do before that so when i grad i graduated from college in mankato in 91 and then uh, I, I worked at rickway carpet through my senior year in college because i got i went to school for finance uh, and computer science and so i took an internship for banking my senior year prior to that i was working at canterbury Downs, so i waited tables and 
There was great money up there. I That was the only job I had through the summer. And when I took my internship in banking, I had to suck up my hours all in my internship. Then I didn't make enough money that I to pay for school, so I had to get a job. And I got a job at Rickway Carpet, which was a great job. It was a lot of fun. Actually, really close to the brewery. And um, was that like sales or sales? Okay. Yep. And then um, so I did that a little bit right after I graduated uh, for a couple of years part time. I got a job at uh, the local phone company. So. Back then, it was uh, computer service or national independent billing, but it was a division of uh, the local phone company and uh, Hickory Tech, you know, which they evolved into. And so we were on the software kind of billing side. So uh, the billing statements that consumers would receive at home from their local phone bill. So we developed that software and did that whole process. I worked on the side where telephone companies would communicate so they just like they call it cabs billing so it's that carrier access between you know mci at&t and the local telephone companies and all that so when you call across the country you might be jumping on maybe six different telephone companies and they all share that revenue so that all has to have an interchange of billing so that's what we did and then i uh so i worked with the telephone companies and then with my background uh, there as a business analyst, so I would write the co- or the perspective of the consumer, person who wants the, at the telephone company, here's what I want for features and functionality. And then we would turn around and we could sit down with the programmers and then also talk their language so that then they could do the programming part of it. So technical writing of what you, know, you wanted to see for feature enhancements, and then also, um, you know, then talked to the developers and I did that here. And then um, about my last year, I spent a lot of time with MCI Local, which was a local telephone provider in DC and out of Dallas. So I traveled a lot and uh, with different developers and kind of just did that stuff. And and then all of a sudden uh, I saw an opportunity at Midwest Wireless. Um, it was at the time when it was still analog, but converting to digital services. So that goes back. And so with that job, I was a product development manager. So I basically got paid to play. And Dennis Miller, which a lot of people know him in the local community, he would always say, you know, if I didn't have my job as the president, you know, I'd want Tim's job. And I'm like, okay, we could switch. Uh, But uh, it was a lot of fun. And I was in those early stages, you know, some of the first email to phone and back and forth was done here in Mankato. So Nortel Networks, which was out of Texas. And then we would work with Nokia mobile phones out of Finland. And we would kind of, we kind of explain like, you could do this in New York, but if you fail, everybody knows. So let's just do it in Mankato. And so we did some of those early pilots and not only just the text messaging, which is SMS or short message service. Uh, we worked with the local developer in town here uh, that did the email server. So, you know, your mobile number at clearlydigital.com for those people who have been here for a while. So that was a local developer that, that I worked with. And so we would take that email that comes in, parse it, pull out that piece of, of the email. Uh, initially, it was just whatever was in the subject. And then we would force that back to the phone. And when you would reply, and then we would keep that thread open. So whichever the last message that came from, and it was sent back in that same format, we would pull that text message, convert it to an email, and send it back to that email as a reply. So we were doing that 
way before there was even really truly email to your phone. Oh. Um, so it was really kind of cool stuff. So we did some really neat things, a lot of early Bluetooth testing and pilot systems and things like that. Uh, I can still remember I walked into Best Buy. I was looking for like a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse and I said something to the guy and he goes, oh, Bluetooth, that's dead. Like there's no use for that. And I can still remember, I'm like, really? I think it's super cool and functional and low power and short distance and whatever. But it was really interesting to be ahead of the curve uh, and we're living in Mankato. So that's why I always pitch Mankato is a great community. People live and work in Mankato. So, you know, your target customers and whatever you do from a business, it's easier to uh, get attention to them. But also we have a lifestyle here. I feel like when I look at trying to bring people to move to Mankato, I mean, I live 10 minutes south of Mankato, but you know, I have one set of lights, a couple of roundabouts. So on the busiest day, uh, it takes about maybe 17 minutes to get to work. And on if I went at midnight, it would take me 12 minutes. So it's super easy to get around. And I just feel that that's a, a benefit. And if you want to go see entertainment or go see the twins or the, the wild, uh, just hop on the road and drive up there and you're there in just over an hour. So, Yeah, I, I, I agree. I always tell my family back in the cities, I have like a four minute commute to work, which is it's amazing. really nice. Yeah, you drive up there and that's when you realize like, this is why I like Mankato. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of a little bit of the history of me. And then uh, my wife is a cosmetologist. So we were running Hair Masters, about four to five employees. And uh, then we started working with the VEDA to do live. And uh, at that time, when we first proposed it to them, they felt like Mankato was too small of a market area. And so it took almost like two years. You know, we're going back at this point, 24 years ago, they just, uh, to do a full spa, you know, while they feel like you could do that in the metro. Uh, so it took us two years to kind of convince them that we should do this. And then um, it took us almost two years to find the right location. And that includes then the build out and everything like that. So, and over the years we've done three expansions. So live is, it's about uh, just shy of 10,000 square feet is what we have there for our full salon, spa, retail, everything like that. So tell me about back when you launched that, it, was that a big risk for you? I mean, I, obviously starting any business, there's some oh, risk sure. involved, but tell me a little bit about how I mean, uh, I that. grew, I mean, between, our, for our life, I mean, you know, so uh, I grew up on a farm. It was just my brother and I, and obviously my parents. And so I'm from New Prague, small little, what you call hobby farm, 160 acres in order to, so you didn't lose the farm. Both your parents had to work out of the house. So it was, there was never really, you know, and everything that, you know, from what we have now is I couldn't do without the local support of, um, do the small business associate SBA and, uh, local banks that really helped us through that process. So when we took the risk, uh, you know, even from that first business from Hairmasters, I mean, we didn't have a house, uh, you know, paint, you know, we didn't own your car. You're still making payments. So even like when we did live, I mean, people don't understand how many times I had to do either a second mortgage or securing your home. So if this doesn't work, you know, your potential is to lose everything. So I didn't have, you know, a bank full of cash to be able to do everything. So, um, and, uh, so yeah, it's pretty stressful and there's a lot of nights that you would go to bed or, you know, I, I just, I think of like from business wise, it's eight days a week, it's nonstop and uh, you never, 
you know, like I run into people like, oh, they talk about they're an entrepreneur, which is great. I, I don't even know if that word existed when I was their age, but it just kind of happened, to be quite honest, uh, because of somebody retiring was that first chance that I did that or that we did that. And, um, you know, extremely stressful. I mean, I don't think sometimes people understand, you know, and also, uh, some days I'd love to go back to just eight to five, you know, just show up to work, you're down to five and you leave. And that's kind of the benefit we try to explain to our team, even at live is that when, uh, if you're sick or, uh, you, whatever happens, um, you need to move your schedule or you want to take a vacation and we need to move your appointments around things. We do that all for you. So, and when you're done at, at five, you don't have people calling you. So that's the stuff that, you know, our team has to deal with. And, you know, so there are times where I get a call at midnight because somebody doesn't feel good and they're pretty sure they won't be able to come in the next morning. So then you got to get out of bed and check their schedule and figure out what time they're coming in and what can we do? So it just never, it never ends. Uh, it's 24-7, I say, eight days a week. Mm-hmm. So so what what made you think it was going to work, Live live Salon? It, it seemed like a, it's a pretty ambitious thing. It was, started. but I mean, I mean, we did it in baby steps. So, you know, at the time, I mean, uh, we just felt that there were enough people that we talked to, um, you know, our banker that we worked with at that time, you know, <clears throat> not to like whatever, but I mean, he didn't have any hair and he's kind of like looking at us like, so you want to do what? Uh, a salon, spa, like, you know, somebody maybe who's never even had a massage. Uh, I would assume never a facial either. And then after he approved it, he said, yeah, I talked to my my wife and sister or sister-in-law and they said, you better do this because Mankato needs this. Because uh, there was nothing like that uh, at the time. And we just felt like it was something that, People we already knew were driving to the metro, and we created what we felt as an experience. So, you know, it might be just, uh, you know, when I look, when you look at the service, if you provide a haircut or a color or a massage or a facial, that, you know, we look at the whole experience wheel, and that might represent uh, only 10 or 15% of the total service, you know. So, obviously, if you give a bad haircut or the haircut, maybe it's not bad, but it's not what they wanted. And, so when you step back further, it's the consultation. You know, was the consultation right? Did you do the scalp massage the way that they wanted? Uh, did you identify certain aromas that they like or don't like? So that's everything. And so we like to say the service starts when they sit down in the chair and you start the consultation and it, and it finishes the next time they sit back down in that chair because you never want to run into somebody like, oh, yeah, I've been having this neck issue or, you know, I know we worked on that where it's great, but then you didn't instruct them what they should do for stretches or help them out a little bit that way. Or for their hair, you see them at the grocery store and they're like, oh my God, don't look at me. Uh, you know, my hair looks horrible. Well, maybe they didn't just get ready that day, but maybe you didn't give them enough education when they left so that they could maintain that cut, that cu- color with the right products. Um, you know, or, or maybe it's too long. So when somebody's in for a service, I'm a good example of that. If I go more than three weeks for a haircut, I don't like it. Now I'm not saying I get my haircut every three weeks cause I'm kind of like, I have to wait for somebody to cancel and my wife's got to squeeze me in or this or that, or maybe it's at home. Um, but if I go four or five weeks, that's uh, a week or two that I don't like it. So if that was a regular guest, can you imagine if 25% of the time you just hated your haircut? So you got to educate them like, okay, so if you can't commit and schedule out enough because we get so busy, 
Uh, maybe I need to do different haircuts so that maybe it shouldn't be as short on the side or maybe it needs to be shorter or this, whatever it might be. Let's find out if that's truly the service because if you can't commit to coming in every six weeks to get this color maintained and you can only commit to every 10 weeks, which is fine, I'm going to make sure I do something different so that you don't hate it for four weeks because you went four weeks beyond what I gave you, what it would last. And that happens and trends change and things like that. And education is a really big part. We're bringing in artists, uh, educators that are nationally known or have done. We just had a gal uh, doing braids and bobs and bohemian type stuff, not to get into it too much, but uh, here's somebody that does New York fashion week. So we bring these people to Mankato. So we have a big enough team that we can bring them in here and do that training here. Uh, we just had a cutting class that deals with for short hair cuts. Um, again, somebody that works on fashion week, uh, things like that. Uh, and these are people that are trained educators, not just really, uh, people that are skilled in their trade and their craft, that skill that they have of cutting, coloring, facials, massages, whatever it might be. We just had another gal in for facials uh, that's, you know, you know, does a lot of editorial work. So you'll see their work in magazines and things like that for makeup and stuff like that. But so we bring them here. So we invest back into the team. That's important to us. And it's expensive, uh, but it's a commitment that we make to make sure that our team is always challenged and they keep up with trends because they do have, you know, they've added now uh, licensing um, for cosmetology and esthetology, which does facials and waxing, the continued education. It's more of a, the laws and regs and that kind of stuff. And, you know, but so there's, there might be somebody that's been doing hair for 20 years, but they maybe have not had a, a class on uh, color or formal styles or things like that because it's not required. And it does, it's expensive and you got to take time off and you've got to travel or whatever it might be. So that's what we like to do and bring that here. So continuing education is very important to us. So you mentioned um, <clears throat> your wife, what, what's her name? Tammy. Tammy. Um, talk a little bit about the partnership you guys have and how you guys divide responsibilities. And- well, we don't have kids. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it would be, uh, you know, we have four dogs. Um, but um, so she... Ha- you know, I deal more like uh, with our team on marketing. Uh, we have people that help with social media, that kind of stuff. So I'll meet. In fact, when I'm done here, I have to meet with somebody. I have a talk about uh, uh, a marketing plan for the holiday season and 2022 and stuff like that. So I kind of will deal with that stuff. Nikki is our general manager. So her and I kind of divide that stuff up quite a bit. And um, so I'm kind of, you know, sometimes I just walk around and talk to people. Um, but I do a lot of fixing. I mean, I fixed a wobbly toilet this morning, uh, a couple lights that weren't working in our retail displays. Uh, luckily it was just a matter of they got unplugged and somebody didn't know that. So I do that kind of stuff, fix things. Um, and, uh, Tammy deals more, uh, with the training team. Uh, you know, I might schedule or work with, you know, the team to get you know, from the recruiting of new staff that as we hire and we're always looking for new talented people. Um, and then Tammy will focus more with the managers in those areas and set the training schedule. So does she have the, does she have the background in, uh, she trained to to do that work? She's a cosmetologist. So she went to school for cosmetology. Um, you know, we always encourage people, you don't have to get a four year degree. I mean, I'm, 
you know, you can, there's a lot of two year mm-hmm. uh, degrees. Cosmetology is about 13 months, just over a year. Esthetician for facials is five months. Massages, uh, depends on what programs, because a lot of them are pretty flexible now. So you might do it in a uh, half a year to a longer, depending on, it's, you know, it's good money for them. And we trend to hire for a career. Um, so we have medical, dental, we pay for half. We have an employer match for a retirement plan at 3% paid vacations uh, based on their average hourly rate. So we tend to make it a career for them. Um, you know, Tammy went to school for cosmetology right out of high school at the time. You know, she didn't know really what she wanted to do. Uh, she was probably, I think, uh, 10. Her dad had passed away. He was in the Korean War. Uh, two years later, her mom had a brain aneurysm. So her siblings, she's eight siblings. She's the second youngest. So they did a lot to help, you know, be part of her life uh, as she grew up through, you know, elementary, middle school, and high school to graduate. So she went to the school in Mankato here at the time. It was downtown, kind of where um, GMG is right now. That used to be a cosmetology school in there, uh, or in that kind of area. Uh, Match A. Grave actually was right there, so it was right behind it. And um, so, yeah, and I worked with two of her sister-in-laws, and uh, my gal was uh, on maternity leave, and she didn't do a good job, I would guess, to say to pre-book me with somebody that she worked with. So she kind of just left me kind of hanging there, like, okay, what am I going to do now? You're on maternity leave. Uh, so then uh, my now my sister-in-laws, the gals that I worked with, uh, so I finally like, yeah, go ahead and set up that haircut. I'll go ahead and whoever this Tammy is, they've been trying to set us up for a long time. And we both were saying no. So I joked saying it was the last time I paid for a haircut. Um, but uh, so I went in and and then we kind of set up uh, a follow-up date and that wait, was so it. You, wait, so you met her? She was cutting my hair. Over a haircut? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a blind haircut date. So uh, it was a high pressure. So... Um, but yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's. I mean, we could talk about this stuff all day long, but let's transition to the beer. Yeah. Um, tell me about starting that business and why you did it. Were you? I mean, you're just a beer guy. You just wanted to. Well, I mean, I like make a lot of beer. I like beer. Uh, I was home brewing for quite a few years. Um, you know, but as a home brewer, I mean, I seldom would make the same beer over and over. And even if you did. Uh, you know, the controls you'd have in your garage just based on seasonalities of humidity and temperatures. You can never really repeat the process perfectly uh, just because I was just dealing with a small five-gallon batch system at that time. And um, and then my great-great-great-grandfather, uh, Minar, or Minor is his last name, moved uh, to New Prague and... He uh, opened up the first brewery in New Prague. It's about 1885. So um, that never made it out of prohibition. Uh, but, I mean, he had sold it to his son-in-law and stuff uh, soon after he opened it, too. But So, yeah, I'd say beer was in my blood, literally. And um, so I kind of, you know, at the time, there was only 13 breweries in the state of Minnesota. So we will have our 10-year anniversary this January. So I started working on it in 2010. That's when I incorporated. So really, it even further than that. So over 12 years, I was I've been working on it, uh, kind of the design, the idea, the concept, and um, you know, trying to figure things out. And uh, just to back up, even 10 years ago from when we opened, uh, that's before the Minnesota Pint Law passed. So 
as much as I know really about the Minnesota Pint Law, I mean, um, you know, that sometimes people call it the Surly Bill. And reality at that time, the guild uh, funneled a bunch of money into supporting uh, uh, having uh, a lobbyist. Uh, Omar uh, was probably the most vocal at the time. Again, only 13 breweries uh, back when we when I was actually working on the brewery. Two of them were brew pubs, Grand City and Rock Bottom. So really 10. Uh, some of those aren't open anymore. And um, we couldn't even sell a pint of beer in the brewery. So, you know, first, and I'll back up even further. So we were trying to find a location. So we were looking, you know, and, and it got picked up in the paper. We were looking under the bridge, you know, where the, I like to say where the trolls kind of live in that area, you know, because and we were kind of thinking that, hey, this could be a fun little theme, you know. But uh, it didn't work out. I mean, there's some contamination of the soil. It would have taken too long for build out. It would have been best just to demo everything down. And we didn't have the resources, uh, you know, money-wise, time. And um, working, uh, actually, Dan Robinson locally here at Lindstrom at the time. And uh, we found, uh, which was the old Locker Brothers building. They're up in Green Isle, a local distributor. Uh, and uh, so... The uh, Marstons is the family that owned the building where we're in right now. They had state distribution. So it was a beer distributor. So it actually was a building we were finding. Uh, we even found Ted Marty's business card outside, uh, uh, kind of in the rocks around a bush area. So it must have like, we thought that was pretty cool. Ted uh, Marty, of course, is the Yeah, of Shell. So, yeah. I mean, it's like, this was a building <clears throat> built for beer. In 1976, it was built. Has a standard cookie cutter look. So we've had other distributors come in there like, oh my God, this used to look like our building. But there's a company that came around and they just built beer distributor buildings. And, um, you know, we work with Tao Distributing, which is on Third Avenue in Mankato. So it had heating, the cooling, and not only a refrigeration or cooling in the whole building, we had a 2,000 square foot cooler room that was forklift with the overhead door inside and, and then there was a cooler inside that even so it was perfect for what we want to do as a production packaging brewery because at that time you had to choose are you a brew pub which is basically a restaurant that makes food and if you don't have great food you know they're not going to come there and i i worked in the restaurant business uh, as a waiter for six almost seven years and i didn't want to have anything to do with that uh, i just wanted to make beer uh, I didn't want to deal with, because uh, I knew logistically as a distributor and the fleet and distribution and the sales side, there's just a lot that goes into that. So we gave that part to Tao uh, Distributing as our local distributor. And then um, um, that was kind of it at that time. And you know, our, we're still on our current system, a 15-barrel system, so we make about 500 gallons at a time. And... Um, then in May, well, during that spring, after we uh, in 2012 when we first opened uh, for our first beer, so it was January 5th, and we were at Pub 500, uh, number four, and Patrick's on third in St. Peter, um, and we uh, uh, ended up, um, you know, a law passed that said, hey, you could sell a pint of beer because we could only do tours uh, where we could give samples. So you had a, you could give four different samples of two ounces each. That's it. You couldn't duplicate up, so you couldn't combine those all into one. You had to have it as a tour. Uh, it was just a lot of just like red tape. It was just very confusing. So we did a few tours, but it just, you know, 
in the business of just giving beer away doesn't really work either. Uh, there's no profit in that. So it was all just kind of marketing. We could do growlers. So we kind of just had a four keg box port on wheels and we'd roll it out over the floor drain in the middle of the brewery. And twice a week we'd open up and do growlers. And hey, that was kind of fun. Then also this law passed, which is the Minnesota Pint Law, uh, where that's where you see now where you have tap rooms that open up. So they can actually have a small system. They could add maybe some food options if they wanted. They may have food trucks that pull up to the place, but now they can sell a pint of beer. So now there's a different model. So when you look at breweries in Minnesota, I really still see there's the brew pubs, which are a loose fit. Uh, They get a full liquor license, everything like that. You have a tap room, which is still legally only your beer, uh, or you have a production brewery only. And a lot of the production breweries, like we were, have now added tap rooms because you're leaving, you know, for one, it's marketing. You know, we're working on a new pilot system for next year so we can do small batch systems, maybe six kegs at a time type stuff. But so um, so these are all like things that, you know, has evolved. So we have had to evolve and make decisions and make choices. And people ask, well, why don't you have wine or why don't you have mixed drinks? Well, legally we can. So we do have parties at the brewery where you may have a wedding and they rent the space out in the back and they may have their own bar that they rent in the back, but that's not open to the public. So they're just renting the space. So that's where we've evolved. So now if you come down to our tap room 10 years later, you'll find that uh, it's, uh, you know, we're probably on the third version of our tap room, fourth counting from when we first opened. And it keeps kind of growing a little bit and changing. And um, we try to create an experience, but we're in a dead end street of center street. So if people haven't been there, you know, we wouldn't, if we were truly what we felt as a tap room, uh, you know, we wouldn't be where we are, but I love where we are because it truly is a destination. You've, you're not, you've either stumbled across it or you either know where we are or, uh, you've got to get Google maps out to find us. Uh, cause that's probably our biggest complaint is it's hard to find you guys. You know, why don't you put a sign over here on the corner? You got one out on 169. Well, legally you can't put a sign, you know, there's, permits for all that stuff that for a business to promote it that's not on your property unless you can't be on another business property so these that's you know maybe i could do a better job at a big neon light or something to draw people in uh, but uh, that's where we are we're limited in hours um you know we're with covid we close on mondays and we've kept it that way so this monday through friday four to nine and saturdays uh noon to nine and sundays noon to six and you know, we will offer extended hours if we want to. Sometimes we do concerts and stuff like that, which will extend the hours. But it's, you know, it comes down to a labor too. And we just, you know, even by, sometimes by adding till 10 o'clock on a day, potentially now you're dealing with, okay, do I have to have two people work this night? And, you know, you know certain nights are not super busy. I mean, just where we are. So that's just the way it is. So so what's 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 down the road for the brewery do you do you i know you said you don't want to do food but it, do you maybe foresee a time down the road when you when you would or i don't i mean what i would i mean i think from a social responsibility we have to offer something so if somebody comes down there so you know we could do a better job on promoting hey bring food with you here's how you can order food to get it delivered in there you mm-hmm. know i think there might be well there's like uber and all these eat, you know eats and stuff like that where you can get food guys and things like that yeah I mean, if, if there was like a kiosk, so you just walk in there, quick order your food and it just gets delivered. Uh, I'm sure there's some app and maybe somebody will reach out to me like, oh, just install this iPod over, over, 
you know, or iPad. Uh, <laughs> over here, like, iPad, ooh, we threw it's back. Been a while since we had iPods. Right? Yeah, and uh, maybe there's something like that. Uh, we just haven't had time really to look into that. And plus, you could create that. You can, you know, you can lead the horse to water, but I can't force them to drink. So in most cases, they have the app on their phone, and then they know they just order it or they bring it in. You know, could we do a better job on trying to get food trucks? It's the tough. It's a tough business. I mean, they're seasonally and weather-wise. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, if we try to get in, they want a minimum of let's say five hundred dollars in sales to come in. Like, well, that's hard. I mean, I can't guarantee that. I mean, I have some days we don't have five hundred dollars in beer sales. So how are you going to get that in food? And um, so it's it's hard uh, to make that work. Uh, you know, from a kitchen, we have this big open concept, so that would all change. You know, I'd have to have glass partitions, and I just don't want to deal with that. Um, could we figure out a way to make it easier for full food trucks just to pull up, quick hookup for them, parking, maybe something like that? Those are things that I think we could do a better job at, but then, like, what happens in the winter? And so do they have to pull in, and how does that going to work? So, and I don't know. I mean, I mean, I... So it sounds yep. like you're just happy with the way things I'm are I'm happy now. with the way it is. If somebody came to me with a solution and said, hey, you know, here's what you could do and we'll help you with this concept, you know, I'd entertain it. But I just, I like what we're doing. And, uh, you know, we could, we just, our job is to educate people on, if you're going to stick around, you know, you know, and we have a list of food. So you want pizza, you know, here's Polly Eyes, Jake's, you know, Dino's. There's a bunch of great places around here that, that deliver just call these guys and the food will be here pretty quick. So, you know, and they call ahead of time or they just walk in with pizza boxes, you know, so or subway from across the road or Nikato, you know, just so grab. does this, does doing it that way, um, does this allow you to keep the focus on the beer? And is that where Correct. you kind of want the focus? To yeah. Be? We want our focus to be on the beer. Uh, we have plans that we're working on a smaller pilot system so we can, you know, offer even more options um, we use the tap room as a marketing arm, so we're going to try different beers. Um, a lot of the stuff that we've had, you know, people even from the state fair, from the caked up, well, that all came from the tap room. Uh, and we pitch it to somebody else to say, hey, here's this concept, here's the idea. Um, and that's how we end up doing that. Um, pretty much most of our beers have come through, you know, people trying it. Uh, we do, we call it our nano series. So yeah. let's give this a try and see what people like. Uh, you know, the Schwartz beer, which we'll talk about, the Cato Black, that's going to be coming out next week um, in a, you know, a tap room release again. And that was uh, going way back. That was Center Street 3, uh, if you think of it going way back. So we've done a lot of different beers over the years just in the tap room. And now we call them nanos. We kind of started doing them Center Street series and packaging to make labeling and, you know, easier. But uh, so, yeah. How far is the has Mankato brew what's what's the reach like how how far away from Mankato can you get a Mankato brewery beer we pretty much cover the entire state of Minnesota there's like a maybe a really small segment just if you go very far north so like just a little bit east of War Road west of Bemidji there might be a little segment in there uh, that we wouldn't have it Uh, the eastern part of north and south Dakota so like the eastern third about um Wisconsin, kind of the, I call it like the western quarter, but it's more the northern part of it. So we don't go all the way down Wisconsin. We kind of just cover just uh, north of the metro almost in a way, kind of approaching, you know, if, if you 
consider like what Wisconsin part offers for the the St. Paul kind of area metro. So we're not in Hudson as an example. Uh, and then northern Iowa, more around the lakes region. So our distributor over there is also our distributor, uh, Dahl uh, Distributing, who is in Wilmer, or sorry, Worthington. And uh, so they kind of cover the lakes area. They also have property that would be like the Des Moines, West Des Moines, but we're not in that area because there's actually a gap there. And they kind of treat those as two uh, operation areas. So we stick to the one where it's connected to the Worthington area. So that's our northern Iowa. Is is your biggest? Mankato. Most of your sales yeah. here in Mankato. So Tau Distributing, which is on 3rd Avenue, or two miles, let's say, from the brewery. Mm-hmm. Great partners with us because they're advocates in our community. Uh, they do a lot uh, to support, to give back to local events, uh, community activities uh, from sponsorships and, you know, just helping, you know, nonprofits. So, you know, if you're up at Loyola for, you uh, know, uh, you know, rocking on the hill. I mean, they're up there because they're helping them make that happen by providing places to store, to serve, things like that. So they're great community partners. Uh, and when we first launched the brewery, uh, our vision was really only just the greater Mankato area. I mean, we thought potentially we could go further in that, but, you know, they cover um, just kind of that Bell Plain area, uh, not, you know, kind of that, that, region there and then uh and it dips down and so if you take Wasika, so west of 13 uh not east of 13 because then that's college city out of that northfield dundas area and then they'll go all the way to like olivia kind of that farther west and then they'll go all the way down to the iowa border so you know that blue earth uh fairmont that kind of stuff they cover that for us albert lee um so that's kind of where they cover. So it's a pretty uh, good-sized market area. And then, uh, you know, just outside that area, so we just got different uh, distributors. We have 13 distributors in total. So it, so you guys got popular at a time when craft beer was really becoming a thing. Um, and now, is it still a thing? I mean, is it still, do you feel yeah, like I there's still... Yeah, I still think, I mean, it's, people always ask, like, is there a bubble? Where's the bubble? Have we hit the bubble? I, I mean, I think COVID has created a few, you know, pitfalls. And anytime, I mean, if you look back, uh, I see the, you know, anytime that, you know, somebody loses their job or a market or there's a recession, you're going to get people that are maybe displaced or out of work. So they turn hobbies into a career. So you'll you'll see those things happen. Uh, legally, as far as distribution wise, state of Minnesota, I think having the, the Minnesota pint law, that, that is the biggest boom part of it. I think it developed into something that a lot of the advocates for it really didn't even understand, like what it would do. Cause the idea of having a tap room almost like on every corner, let's say if you go downtown Minneapolis, St. Paul area, I don't know if that was the vision or not. I'm not sure. I think it was just an idea of a way to allow breweries like ourselves that, you know, we're, we're still pretty small to create an opportunity that we could actually sell out of our tap room because, you know, wineries could sell their wine, but breweries couldn't. And wineries have a different designation because they're considered a farm because at least 50% of their grapes at the time when this was all passed uh, was from Minnesota. It didn't have to be 50% in every bottle, but 50% or greater 51, whatever it is, uh, has to be Minnesota grapes. And then they would get a designation as a farm staff and would allow them to get a full license also. So it actually created more of like a brew pub, but in wine. 
Uh, so they're in their tap room or their serving room. Uh, they could have everything. Uh, when they passed laws for the pint laws, that didn't work for breweries because we couldn't be considered ag, you know, a farm because uh, our grains, our hops and everything are all imported from all over the world. It's unrealistic to say 50% of everything would be from Minnesota-based because it just doesn't work. Not everything is made here. And part of it, you know, from the maltsters, we might be, you know, this beer to have a true to style, like we have the cross-check pills. I mean, we have a, a check, you know, pills are base malt and different, you know, things like that. So that that doesn't come from this region uh, that's uh, imported from Germany. Um, so we just couldn't get that status now. The laws actually changed for the wineries and they didn't lift their restrictions, you know, or they didn't give them restrictions. So, um, but as a brewery serving a pint of beer, we don't have the luxury and we do have people come in like, well, Hey, wait a second. And I'm just going to stop them. What state were you in? Oh, this was in Colorado or this was in Oregon or this was, you know, like, okay, well, Minnesota is unique in that way. I think there's only a handful of states that, you know, that are the way we are where we can't. You know, so we can't serve wine or whatever it might be. So, so, um, so we don't go too long here. Um, but I wanted to get to um, talk about the way COVID affected both of your businesses and how, well, like, what the what challenges did you face? What was the worst part of it? And maybe, maybe some good things came out of it. Yeah. Um. So the the tough part. So in the salon and spa side, I mean, we are closed <clears throat> eleven weeks. So. Uh, it gave me a different perspective and our team has a different perspective. I mean, I used to freak out just closing a couple hours early or having a full snow day. And the idea to be closed 11 weeks, uh, which is basically one week shy of an entire quarter, uh, was unreal. I can still remember uh, it was the 16th, I think, which was a Tuesday. And we had our we have our monthly team meetings on the third Tuesday. And um we said, oh, you know, we're just going to make the choice because I think then later that day they actually closed on that Tuesday, which was the 17th. I think it was that Wednesday. Uh, so we made the choice ourselves that we were just going to close for two weeks because we just didn't know what was going on. And we had rumblings of some restrictions and this and that. And how do we navigate this? And they were potentially we're going to close the salon, but not our spa. And we're just like, that's it. We're just going to close. It's going to be two weeks. Everybody hunker down. Um, and so a lot of our team did file for unemployment during that period. We thought it was only two weeks and it was extended two weeks. So I think, uh, and we came back, we were at restrictions, 50% capacity. So it was the interesting part. So you maybe had somebody who was working four, eight hours or five days a week, eight hour shifts. And now they were doing uh, four days a week and maybe some tens or a couple eights and a couple tens or and one twelve or something like that. And they like that because I think that we try to make sure that they have a work-life balance. It's, it's important to me. So it should be important to them too. And so, um, it's a great thing from that way. So that was really tough though. And then just dealing with the restrictions and keeping our team safe and continuing to do that too. Um, in the brewery side, uh, back from the salon, we're still just amazingly busy right now. So we're very blessed that way. But I mean, we're booking out March, April. It's just unreal. Um, you know, we're always trying to hire uh, stylists, massage therapists, estheticians. So if you're listening. Um, and in the brewery side, I mean, there's multiple closures that actually was continued. I mean, we, we have it just in our financial reports that we meet with just so we can try to compare, you know, you know, when you look at numbers and finances, you always, 
you compare it to budget and you compare it over a year over and it's just like, oh my God. So we're trying to compare it to 19 because it's hard to compare it to 20 because there's just so many restrictions of closures and not just us from the tap room, which represents such a small part of our business. I mean, the majority of our business is distribution out in the markets and here you had bars and restaurants that were closed or they were outdoor seating only, but you know, a lot of places didn't have outdoor seating. Some closed, some tried to stay open or they're doing food to go. Well, they tried beer to go, but that doesn't really work because they're selling it based on what you'd buy a beer in the bar. Well, then you just go to the liquor store. Uh, we dealt with can shortages. So through this process, a lot of stuff has changed where you didn't have all these choices in cans. So, you know, our supply chain, we just got notified this last week. So instead of one semi-load, there's five semi-loads for painted cans. So we're still, this is something just in the last week we're trying to deal with. So where do we store all these? I mean, can we afford to, you know, I mean, you know, as a brewery, I can't imagine even our size, we're on that line, but breweries that have multiple brands and five semi-loads, uh, that's a lot of, lot of cans and um, it's a lot of money. Uh, you know, when you think about fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars a truckload, and now you've got to take that times five. Um, so we, uh, and so we still deal with uh, we call it, you know, the hangover of COVID, uh, and it's hard to um, forecast. Um, you know, even like our cross check pills right now, we thought we do one or two tanks of that i think we're on tank number eight right now and our distributors are reaching out to us faster than than we thought and they're out of it you know because i mean it's a heavy package format it's a cool label it promotes uh hockey day minnesota and mankato which is you know late january and um we're just trying to just keep up uh it's a check pilsner so we're restricted we can't brew it in our big tanks just based on the dynamics and size of that tank so we have to it's in our smaller tanks as far as pressure on the yeast and keeping the yeast healthy. And so it's been interesting. We're excited. We just got in the X uh, this last week. So with that and 16 ounce cans, uh, but uh, COVID, I mean, we just never know. COVID has uh, really played a challenge on us, bars, restaurants, liquor stores. I mean, so it's, we're, st- we're still seeing it though too. And I feel bad for a lot of these businesses that, you know, that dealt with the restrictions and lots of closures of restaurants. The dynamics have changed. Staff, um, you know, I think the long-term effect of, you know, I'm not going to get into politics here, but I do feel that people that were forced to sit home for a year, pretty much, uh, they spend less money and they said, hey, I like staying home. So I'm not going to go out four nights a week. So I don't need to get a part-time job. And that part-time job was maybe working at a bar, restaurant, or grocery store, or whatever it was. So they spend less and they change their purchasing habits. Uh, not only are they spending less, they spend it in different places, in different ways, in different times of the year. And uh, they don't need to have two or three jobs because they enjoy coming, getting off work at five and just mowing the lawn and that's it. And I'll grab my beer out of the garage fridge and because uh, now I could afford another fridge and uh, and different things like that. And they're not going out and spending, you know, their disposable income on maybe going out to the bar. Um, so that changes the dynamics of everything. So you have to capture them in different ways. So, um, <clears throat> I saw that you finished the Mankato marathon. Yeah. Well, so that picture, cause I, I deleted, uh, I did Ragnar this fall. 
which is the, an ultra team. So we do over 200 miles with uh, six people. But um, so then that was my last one. So that's when that popped up. But so I started running. Oh, I ran in high school, uh, more long distance, not cross country, but long distance in uh, regular track. Okay. And then five, almost five and a half years ago, I started running again. I felt just to try to get healthier and just I just getting older. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, um, you know, I was getting closer to my 50 year uh, birthday. So I thought I better do something. And so I started running and my brother has run many marathons. He's actually won marathons and he's a, a phenomenal runner. And uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to try this. So then I started running and first three years out of the last, let's say five, were just more for fun. So I've been competing more and traveling to races and things like that. And Why do you do it? I mean, is it competitive? Is, it, uh, is that what it is? Or yeah, you... and I, I, when I run, so like now when I go out and run, um, I'm, I'm dealing with a year ago I fractured a bone in my foot, but that's a long story and we don't have time for that probably. But um, so I just it's how I clear my brain. I listen to audiobooks, not self help ones, but just murder mystery or <laughs> podcast on unsolved murders and just crime, that kind of stuff, and. Uh, which is really scary because I like to go running in the dark too. And then I'm, I'm hearing about serial killers. Uh, it does freak me out sometimes. Uh, three weeks ago, I came across a cougar also, uh, which is crazy. What? Uh, yeah. And I was by myself. So where, this where? is like where I live. Uh, oh, just my God. So five miles south, south of town. town. Oh, my yep. gosh. Um, but uh, running just clears my brain. It... Uh, it just allows me to just deal with my stresses uh, and it just keeps my sanity. And I can tell if I, you know, because of my foot issue, I had to take a couple months off. Twice I had to take a month off. And most recently I just started back up again. I had to take two months and I really missed it. Um, I like because I also, if I'm out there burning calories, that I'm not as worried about my food consumption as much mm-hmm. or liquid consumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I just, I don't know. And I also, there's a science to it too. So I like to try to figure out as I get older and, you know, I'm 52 now. And um, so I try to see what I can do to just up my game. And I just feel like as a person gets older, they don't have to just, you know, give up and just say all oh, this or that. And, and a lot of people are just going out for a walk. And when I started running, I couldn't get to my second neighbor's driveway. So just to give you an idea, I had to stop. So I had a friend of mine that helped me, uh, Kurt helped me with a lot of it. And basically he said, just get out there for 30 minutes and walk, run it, whatever you can. And if you feel like you catch your wind enough, do you feel like you can do a light jog, just do that. And pretty soon until you can hit 30 minutes and nonstop, just a light jog, and then start focusing on either increasing your time a little bit or increase uh, for the speed or your time. So then my goal was like, I'm a ch- I want to do this for an hour and, uh, and then once I hit an hour, I just stayed there, and eventually my time just got better and better, and and that's kind of how then I started. It took me kind of almost three years really to get to that point, and then I could focus on races. So now I go out there, and you know when I'm training for a race, uh, you know one day a week I'm working on strength or speed, and uh, another day I'm doing like more tempo type, so race pace or faster for let's say anywhere from three to eight miles and seeing, uh, you know, to, for marathon pace. And then the rest is just made up on recovery and longer runs. And, and I, I try to get out there at five in the morning so I don't disrupt 
So my wife, and and so I can still have a personal life because uh, I feel like my work-life balance is, you know, work, my life, and running. And uh, so that's just, it keeps me happy. Hmm. So. so before we let you go here, I wanted to ask, um, as, as a guy who's started two successful businesses in this town, um, is this a good place to start a business? Do you feel like it was supportive? Do you feel like it things, uh, you know, you were, it, it, I mean, it went okay for you, obviously. Yeah. You got two successful businesses, but w- would you advise someone to, to make a go of it if they well, were thinking about it? Well, I always try to tell somebody, just don't open up a business <clears throat> just to open a business because that um, requires a lot of work. And um, you have to be really committed in something that you're passionate about also uh, because when the newness wears off, you've got to have the energy to get up every day and keep doing the same thing over and over. Uh, so for that's, I would say, for anywhere. Mankato is a unique area, so we have a lot of these, what I would almost like bedroom communities, or you know, I think of like a, within a 30-mile radius, a lot of these great small towns also around us. So people live and work. So it's very easy uh, to find a connection for people where they live and then they work. You go to the metro, I might work in Egan, but I might live in Blaine. So you can imagine that. Yeah, you got a really horrible commute. But if I was a business trying to get you as a customer to come in my doors, how do I communicate to you? Do I communicate you while you're at work or when you get home? And so that changes that dynamic. So Mankato is great for that because people live and work in this community. Now, Mankato, I explain, you know, because people like to compare us to shells. Well, they're a lot bigger than us. But even from a local perspective, if you walk into any of the bar, restaurant, or any of these businesses, I like to say like 80% of the people in the bar or restaurant that's working there, serving on your table, is somebody from New Ulm. You know, because you're in New Ulm, they live there, they work there. Mankato's different where it might be only 20% of the people actually from Mankato. So if you ask that person that brings over your food or your drink, like, What's local or where are you local? Where are you, you know, so it's a, it's an education thing that we have to do even with their team because they're going to college here. So they might be from uh, Hibbing, you know, and they're going to college in Mankato. They might make this their home now after they've graduated. But so we have a lot more people that are, you know, Mankato is constantly changing the dynamic. So that makes it super exciting also, but also does change it a little bit on what is supporting local. You know, so we try to educate based on supporting local in here. You know, if it's supporting us as Mankato Brewery, but it's also supporting all the other regional local breweries just to be able to support the dynamics of that. Uh, And uh, it's just, you know, we're all in it together. And as one does better, it helps raise the bar for everybody else. And we're here about education. I mean, you know, even a few years ago, there was no agritourism. I mean, it maybe was, but... I mean, growing up, we used to go to breweries. Uh, uh, I grew up on a farm, so we could do one day, maybe a two-night day trip because we had cattle and things like that and or just chickens and stuff like that. So you'd have to find grandpa or somebody to take care of things for you. So we'd go on a little trip. So we maybe went and we'd go to pick a town that had a brewery because uh, we'd do a brewery tour. So that was kind of fun thing. And then you could be home the next day. Uh, and uh, so we do get a lot of people that come to Mankato our goal is get them in the door, come visit Mankato, see Mankato Brewery. And when they're done, like here's the rest of the places that you can go to to get our beer. If you want to have great food, sit down and spend the rest of your night or at this hotel. You know, we're on tap there. Um, stop by the hotel lobby bar and grab a beer from us uh, while you're there also. 
and you could eat there or go to all these other places that also have our product on tap. So that's kind of a really fun thing. And you're seeing a lot more people doing these little day trips, uh, which is kind of agritourism. So they might hit Indian Island, Mankato Brewery, maybe Shells, Chankaska, and then they head back up to the Metro. So, but yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it, Tim. I think we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you very much for coming down today. I know I've, I've been trying for months to, to line this up. Yeah. <laughs> we can't seem to connect, but we finally got it done. So thank thanks, you very Rob. much for thank coming Thank you for down. having me. Yeah, thanks for the Thanks for, the thanks for being a great uh, advocate for Mankato, both on your history of everything you've done from media promotions. Uh, you've done a lot to promote this area yourself. So, Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate that. Okay, thank you, sir. Thank you.